Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. Today's episode is a recording of a talk I gave recently at the Industrialized Wood-Based Construction Conference. The talk was centered around what codes are indicating about our future buildings. Based on listener interest, I thought you might enjoy hearing it as well. Enjoy the show. All right, our next uh, speaker is Joe Kelly. Joe runs Mass Construction Consultants, specializing in corporate construction education and code consulting services. Joe is also the host of the Mass Construction Show, a podcast about the construction industry. Today, Joe's presentation is on what codes and regulations are telling us about Mass Timber, a look at the role codes play as a leading indicator in the industry. I'm here today to talk about um, what our building of the future will look like. Um, and noting the room I'm in, I'm gonna say it's gonna be wood, right? So, uh, that's playing to the crowd, but very poorly, apparently. Um, and the screen's blocked. Um, so, what is the building of our future look like? Um, the building of our future is going to be built in a safe manner, it's going to be sustainable, it's gonna be affordably built, and it's gonna be built with the wellness and the health of the end user in mind. Why am I saying that? Well, codes can be indicators, right? And they can tell us about the direction we're going. Um, and as Ricky talked about in his presentation, um, it can be led in multiple ways. Ricky talked about how code officials can lead it. Um, it could be industry leading it, and it could be the public leading it. Today I'll talk about um, the indicators coming from industry and code officials. So, for example, you know, Ricky alluded to the fact that Mass Timber was really code official led, uh, but let's say, for instance, it was industry led and it was the American Wood Council and WeWorks and uh, a lot of people in the room are probably part of industry, right? You work for a company or you're part of an association. Everybody other than an academic um, is really industry. So, industry could be creating a product or service, selling it to their customers, or being prepared to sell it to the customers, but the customers are either struggling with, hey, can I use this? Is it gonna be allowed? Can I get a permit? Or in some cases happening now, there are people getting products and they're installing them and no permits are needed, but the billing official is saying, hey, you know, this is probably a code issue, a safety issue, but there's nothing here. So the industry could reach out to code writing authorities and say, hey, we need some guidance here, right? Or Code officials could reach out and say, we need some guidance because we're seeing these products going in, right? Uh, a good example of a code official led um, action would be energy storage, okay? Energy storage um, is gaining a lot of traction in the marketplace. Uh, energy storage is important on the sustainability front because um, to get what I call kind of truly net zero, people need to not just um, use as much energy as they're producing, but just completely relieve themselves from the need to buy power from the grid, right? So you're buying power from the grid, it's mostly from a fossil fuel, but if you wanna truly get to the point where your solar panels or wind turbines can supply your building, you need to have energy storage, that's the unlock. Because the problem is, um, you know, the sun shines when it shines and the wind blows when it blows, but you need power when it's not shining or when it's not blowing, right? So energy storage allows you to collect that energy when the sun is shining and then when you need power at night, 
you can do it. So um, that was happening. The fire services was really having some issues because um, what do people think of the problem with lithium ion batteries? Okay, that laugh says it all, right? They catch on fire, they spontaneously combust. We've heard about the laptops and phones catching on fire in the airports, right? Uh, so fire services is equally concerned about those, okay? They're going in and they're saying, all right, what am I responding to? Is it an electrical fire? Is it a hazardous material fires? A number of fire service folks that I've spoken to have no idea, right? Do they put water on that fire, yes or no? Those are a lot of unanswered questions out there. So fire services turns around and says, we need some guidance. So that's an example of code officials leading the way. Um, another area where code could be almost, you know, woefully incompetent is the IRC. You see the Tesla power wall, right? As we talked about, they can catch on fire. You know what the IRC says about energy storage? Zero, okay. So we're starting to see some interest like with uh, NFPA 855 and things where you're starting to see some code changes happen there because energy storage is coming into the marketplace. In the marketplace. And I'm gonna talk about that a little bit more as the presentation moves on. Here's another example, just kind of anecdotally. Anybody here of any of these four companies? Give me a hand if you don't wanna talk. Not one person in the room, right? Okay, oh, one gentleman. All right, I like it, he's on the cutting edge. Okay. Last month, I was reading through the Massachusetts uh, updates to the fire code, and I'm seeing all this language about mobile refueling services. And you need to do this, you need to do that, right? So I'm like, why is there all this language? What is even a mobile refueling service, right? Those four companies, so I start poking around, there's all these companies, some of them operating here in Massachusetts, that will do, deliver fuel to your driveway or to your office and fill up the tank so you don't need to go to the gas station. They'll do your wiper blades and tires and some other maintenance stuff too. But there's a good um, opportunity to see how codes can be indicators, right? I didn't, everyone in the room other than that gentleman, including myself, had never even heard of this business line. But you look to code and say, oh, apparently something's happening. And there was a lot of pushback. The gentleman from fire services I was talking to said, not only did fire services have a problem, but weights and measures. You go to the gas station, you go to, the grocery store, somebody there is putting a seal to make sure you're getting truly a gallon or truly a pound. This is completely unregulated, right? They're driving around, filling things up, going on their business, like a lot of new uh, technology. So that's just another kind of anecdote how um, codes can be indicators. So not only are codes indicators, but in some cases they can be an unlock, right? The building you're looking at, a lot of people familiar, familiar with it, it's the Oliver Design Center at UMass Amherst. Um, for folks that probably know Peggy Clouston and Al Trier, they were moderating and uh, on a number of panels. They pushed very hard to get this building built at UMass Amherst. It's a wonderful building. It's a great education tool for the students. It's a great gem for the campus and a great kind of stake in the ground for Mass Timber in Massachusetts. But here's kind of the problem, which is they want to build this building. And this is kind of a problem when codes are, are not caught up, right? They built this building under the 2009 edition of the IBC. Mass Timber was not allowed. CLT was not allowed. So they had to apply for a permit with their AHJ, get refused, go to the State Board of Appeals, and luckily they got through. But think about that process. You apply, you don't know what's gonna happen, you've gotta wait six months, maybe more, to get an answer. And then what happens if you waited that six months and they say no? Okay, what a developer and owner needs is certainty. 
Okay, when you have codes that are in place, like it was under the Massachusetts, that was the eighth edition, okay, that puts a lot of uncertainty in the mix. UMass Amherst is an institution. They didn't need that building right away. They could wait, okay? But when those codes are in places, it becomes really problematic for developers and owners, okay? But under the current edition of the Mass Building Code, the 2015 IBC, that would be allowed. So you take that six months off, right? Think about carrying costs, risk, all that kind of stuff coming off the table. And then you talk about what Ricky was just enlightening everybody about what's happening 2021. Okay, now the governor comes way off, right? So code can be indicators and predict us and tell us something about where it's going. And then it can also be the unlock to give us the room to run that we really need as an industry. So today I wanna to talk about five themes that I've been seeing. Um, I'm much more of a generalist. If, uh, if you want the specifics and hard technical mass timber stuff, Ricky and David are the people to ask the questions. Um, I was a building official, a superintendent, a co-consultant, worked for the Association of General Contractors, so I kind of cover a lot of areas, but I'm an expert in none. Um, but what I have been seeing is themes, right, across um, code regulations. It is wellness, sustainability, affordability, modular, and construction and fire safety. Those are things that we continually see across the country over the past half a dozen years that are telling us that we're moving in that direction. Sustainability, I'm gonna start with sustainability, uh, but most people in the room realize that that is a theme or a trend. The average person walking down the street knows that that is a trend, right? But let's talk about from a code perspective, and we'll start with energy storage, which we already talked about. Um, Fire Department of New York City, uh, they had, New York City made an initiative that they wanted more energy storage, more megawatt capacity of energy storage. But fire department, as we talked about, rightfully so, said, okay, we're gonna put these things in downtown Manhattan on a roof, or on a low roof. Um, we're not crazy about that. They pushed back and said, we need regulations. So the city of New York fire department is writing their own regulations, okay? NFPA 855 for the first time ever, energy storage is gonna have a standard with NFPA. That comes out this year, okay? So we're seeing a trend there that energy storage is coming. You're seeing a lot of push from government, from cities, from developers, just there's an arbitrage happening there. You can buy power when it's cheap and use it when it's expensive. So it can really be a cost driver in there as well. And we're seeing that play out in the codes. Also, let's talk about the green, um, the Article 37 right here in Boston. I'm from Boston myself. Uh, in the zoning code in Boston, they have Article 37, which says if you need zoning relief from the city of Boston, you need to comply with Article 37. Article 37 says you need to meet LEED certification. Okay, you do not have to get the plaque on the wall because the government cannot require you to use a private service but you have to get that checklist and you have to meet all those things. So the city of Boston through zoning makes you um, meet the requirements of LEED, okay? Massachusetts also passed the Green Communities Act. And that said, part of what it said, it said a number of things, but it said you need to adopt the most recent energy code within three years of it going into place. So what happened? Massachusetts now has to adopt the 2021, this code cycle, because it required to, okay? They do not want to have, and Ricky was talking about how 
Massachusetts is going to adopt 2021, and the reason is because the Green Communities Act requires them to adopt the 2021 Energy Code. So therefore, they don't want the you know 2018 Building Code with the 2020 2021 IECC. So that is actually pushing now sustainability is pushing us to adopt a faster building code here in Massachusetts. So those are some of the indicators happening. Here's just another anecdote. Skanska releases this month the embodied carbon calculator. Good news for everybody in this room, correct? Okay, where you're gonna be able to put the building material in, material in and find out the quantity of embodied carbon to use that material. Okay. Wellness. Wellness is another trend that's happening here. Uh, some of it is more of a standard, but you could see how lead starter is a standard and it made its way to Massachusetts zoning code. Okay, there are three of them in the marketplace right now. There is Fitwell, which is started with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, there's the well building standard and Harvard has the um, nine, I think they call it nine fundamentals, nine foundations of healthy buildings. Okay. They all fit in the same mold where they are looking at a building and the end user in is there clean air, is there clean water, is there access to nature? They look at blue light versus orange light, is there access to uh, exercise? They're looking at all of those things, is there access to quality food? Okay. They're looking at all of that and in particular like you see that living wall that's right here in Massachusetts and Cambridge, you're going to start seeing more living walls. Um, that is when they're looking at biophilia and they look at the positive health effects that being around natural products have on people. Okay, and there's a lot of research around it where they look at, you know, lowering of blood pressure, um, measures of stress, heart rate and things like that go down when you're around natural products. So there's a double benefit there. So you're around wood and stone and those things, you physically feel better. Um, in Japan, I won't try and say it in Japanese, but they have the term forest bathing because they understood that if you go out in nature, you feel better, right? So not only is there the health benefits of being around natural products just by being in their kind of presence, I know it's a little woo-woo, but then you eliminate the off-gassing of acoustical ceiling tiles and carpet and vinyl wall covering and that type of stuff. So seeing a definite trend there, you look at the city of Lynn, with their zoning code. What they did is they said, if you are in the central business district, you can build a 10 story residential building, 100 apartments in it, you need zero parking spots, okay? They want you to be walking, be out in the community. You hear, you'll start to hear the term place building kind of happening or community building. Community is becoming important, starting to make its way into the zoning codes. Okay, they want you to walk, they want you to be in the community, use public transportation. I mean, th that's aggressive. Their only caveat is if you have a three bedroom unit, then you need one parking space for that. But if you could build studio, one, two bedroom, 10 story, 100 of them in downtown Lynn, not one parking spot. Some other trends we're seeing, these are both here in Massachusetts, Newbury Street, which is the prime shopping district in this area. It's a long street. They close that down three times a year now. No cars. I could walk to this low one, that's Birch Street in Rosendale. It's been approved locally by the city that that is now going to be completely shut down. Birch Street is now Birch Street Plaza. It's going to be a wooden surface. There's going to be tables and plants, and it's going to be a little shopping district with lighting. Okay, we're definitely heading that direction. Affordability.
Okay. Um, again, anyone kind of in the news, not even in this in this business, will know that affordability is a big challenge we have. City of Minneapolis banned single-family zoning, so you no longer can have zoning in that city that says single-family only. Okay. State of Oregon, okay, on a state level, banned single-family zoning. They did it in a regional sense. So if you're around an urban district, okay, they have a ring around that district. If you're within so many miles of that urban core, you are not allowed to have single-family zoning. If there are 25,000 or more occupants in the city, it's like at a minimum you have to allow up to six unit on a single piece of land. If it's 10,000 or more, I believe it's four units must be allowed. Okay, and that was done uh, for two reasons. Not only because they want that urban density, right? But it's because they want to protect the, the true kind of one unit on a large acreage of land. So they want to protect the farmland. So they want more areas of one farmhouse with a bunch of farm and pasture and all that kind of stuff. So they're using it as a way to preserve, preserve that rural organic farming community that's in Oregon but beef up the density in the urban course. Uh, what you're gonna see down below is uh, micro, micro units where places like Seattle and Los Angeles has already passed zoning that allows micro units that would not meet the building code, but they locally will allow them. Um, this kind of another, and if you were hearing some of the things, you're gonna hear like the sustainability and wellness, they kind of overlap a lot, right? And then you look at affordability, there's an overlap with wellness as well. FitWell, uh, which I mentioned to you was started by Fannie Mae Freddie Mac, they will give you a, if you're building affordable and you get the FitWell certification, they will give you between a 15 point and a 30 point basis point reduction in your note. So you build affordable housing, we're going to charge you less interest if you make it healthy for the occupants that are living there. And a lot of these things you'll see as we talk, see, oh yeah, there's a lot of things that are overlapping here and kind of fit that overarching theme. Modular, okay? Um, and again, here we go. We're gonna bounce back and forth with affordability. Shipping containers in the same code cycle that the 2018, I mean the 2020 allowed for up to 18 stories of mass timber. They also allowed to build out of shipping containers now in the IBC. And last week, week and a half ago, they added shipping containers to the residential code. Okay, so there's a push to make um, modular accepted. That's just really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to modular with shipping containers. Um, we're starting to see, and that was obviously within the ICC, um, NFPA has already come out and said they are putting placeholders in NFPA 5000 and NFPA 101 to address modular, which they have never addressed in the past. And the ICC and the Modular Building Institute in 2017 started partnering to come up with standards for modular construction to be put into the codes. Because right now you have really a mixed bag of things. Some states are requiring the code official to travel to wherever the modules are being built. Massachusetts, you have to be a certified um, kind of third party inspector, right? Your factory can become that. So it's really a mixed bag, it's inefficient, but we're seeing movement now on the modular front. And the last theme is increased fire safety. Everyone, well I shouldn't say everyone, probably a lot of people, if you're paying attention to the wood, wood world, light frame, 
residential construction, the, what a lot of people call podium style, right, has been dealing with a lot of large loss fires under construction. Massachusetts, we had three uh, that had to be taken down to the ground, okay, within the past probably two years. There's some concern. Um, there's concern across the country. You see a lot of articles being written about it. Avalon Bay had multiple large loss fires and they've gone heavy into what they call their fire elimination program. Okay, uh, I won't get too much into that. Um, but what are we seeing? Um, fire Department in New York City, they now require you once you get to a certain height that you need to have an individual that their full-time job is construction fire safety and they need to be certified. That certification is getting a premium because there's not a lot of them. So they are paying people well over six figures just to be on site and be fire safety. They're not a superintendent, they're not a project management, they're construction fire safety. That's in the city of New York. Uh, that standpipe, I don't know if this um, laser pointer will work on this. But, so bottom left hand, bottom left hand corner is um, a pressurized standpipe. In Boston and in New York, once you hit a high rise, 70 feet locally, 75 feet everywhere else, you need a pressurized dry standpipe during construction. Top right hand corner is again locally. Uh, we had a couple firefighters die as a result of construction fire. Uh, they passed a hot work certification. So if you're gonna do hot work or if you are going to be a fire watch in the state of Massachusetts, you need to be certified. Bottom right hand corner, you have wood built structures like temporary structures, job shanties, bathrooms, things like that on a construction site. They want spot fire extinguishers inside of them for fire protection measure. To the left of that, where it says car number one, and I know I'm blowing through this kind of quickly, car number one is now, as of this year, if you have an outside construction hoist, think the man of material hoists that go up and down the building on the exterior, you need to have fire department sign off on that elevator before the state elevator inspector can sign off and pass that car. And what it really is doing is almost like an elevator recall on the ex exterior horse, ho hoist. It involves alarms, it involves firefighter keys. You need a key to get up through the hatch. That is the firefighter 3502 key. Um, and then that big one that's looming in the middle, NFPA 241, which has been in effect, I should not say effect, it's been written for well over 80 years. For the first time this year, they uh, have added a chapter on tall timber structures. Here's a quick peek at, here's a quick peek at it. Um, you can see it's not that lengthy, but this is on top of everything else that's in that document. So there's a different level of stringency when it comes to tall timber buildings in regards to NFPA 241. That is a local code here in Massachusetts. So anybody building a building in Massachusetts needs to comply with that. This will go into place as soon as it gets adopted. Um, and that is above and beyond everything else. Okay, um, I just talked to someone who sits on the committee today and they are gonna change the language from tall timber to mass timber. But they're still very wishy-washy on what that definition actually is. Um, so it's a bit of a struggle, but it's new. Uh, and it is code that's coming and it goes to the point which is we are seeing, thank you, we are seeing codes come across this country that are gonna change the way we build buildings. So in closing, um, this is what we see our buildings of the future looking like. 
They are going to be sustainable. They're going to be modular. They're going to be affordable. They're going to be producing their own energy on site. They're going to be storing that energy on site. They are going to be focused on the end user and their health. That center picture where you're seeing folks do yoga on a roof, that is here in the seaport. You could go up and go on this roof and you're going to look at it. That is also has a vegetable garden there that the employees of that company actually use for food. So you're looking at, you know, the living walls, yoga, health, vegetables, everything happening uh, right on site. We're going to see that in the future. And if I was to say to the folks in the room, you really should be, and I think you're in a lot of ways already doing this, but focus on the sustainable nature of wood with the embodied carbon and carbon capture that's capable. Uh, focus on the biophilic um, benefits of wood, the modular, the really flexibility that you can do with modular that you can't do with steel and concrete. But I would also caution you on um, the glues and resins that are used. I don't know if they're problematic, but I know with the wellness and the fire safety, there's gonna be some pushback from folks. If we keep going in this direction where they're saying, if you just, I don't know if you saw, but last week Lowe's came up with a list of what um, the gentleman from Harvard that created the nine healthy building um, foundations, they banned what they call forever chemicals. So there's a whole litany of chemicals that are now not gonna be using carpet padding, carpet, glues, all kinds of things. They are following suit after Home Depot. And it's a major list and it's a huge win. So large companies are looking at this and they're saying we're not gonna allow these. I don't know what is in the glues that are used by um, the folks that are producing mass timber, but certainly take a look at it. It's gonna be a concern and that would be my one thing that I would say. Thank you. Hey, MassCons, tell me where I'm wrong. What do you think? Spot on, is that the future of our buildings? Is it that, and am I missing something? Or is there something on there that you think isn't going to come out to bear? I have people that think that modular is never gonna happen. Um, if you are one of those, let's hear from you. Um, appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate um, everything the MassCons are out there doing to help promote this show, and I can't Thank you all enough. Take care. We out. We out. We out.